Welcome to Your Gal Friday, a podcast about female leaders, innovators, and rule breakers. Each week, your hosts, Kate and Phoebe, will shine a spotlight on an amazing gal and talk about what we can all learn from her. Brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Your Gal Friday. I'm Kate Chaplin. And I'm Phoebe Freer. Today, we are talking about a hardworking gal who created a hair care line that made her one of the most successful African-American business owners of her time. She was an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and an activist. Get ready for the amazing life and legacy of your gal, Madam C.J. Walker. This was so exciting. I actually had no idea how awesome Madam C.J. Walker was before this. Um, I never really knew about her at all. But at the same time, when I Googled her, her given born name was Sarah Breedlove. Right. And I actually do recognize that name, but I still cannot yeah. place why. I just, right. I feel like I've seen that name before, but I'm not sure. I don't know. But it's interesting. It's It's been fun researching her and learning more about her. And it was just like. She was so much more fun than I anticipated, to be quite honest, but (laughs) I knew nothing of her, so, I mean. Blank slate going in and excitement all the way through. (laughs) Pretty much. I was like, oh, this is so fun. Oh, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. Oh, I love it. Well, I I mean, I live out just outside of uh, Indianapolis, so there's this wonderful Madam C.J. Walker pride that is here. Um, I will admit, though, even though I have lived here, that doesn't mean I knew everything about her. Um, Totally. I mean, I was told that she was the first self-made millionaire, and we will go into that a little bit later. I did know that she sold hair care and that she was very large into philanthropy because I could see her name on buildings. Totally. (laughs) And our historical society, you know, actually has a lot of references as well. Um, I have even had one of my films screen at the gorgeous Madam Walker Theater, which I absolutely loved that place. It was so gorgeous. So I am really excited to now, because of this podcast, uh, to have learned more about her because she really is an amazingly uh, inspiring woman and I love her to death. (laughs) Absolutely. So let's get into it, shall we? We shall. So when and where did she start out? Well, Madam C.J. Walker, as we said, was born Sarah Breedlove on December 23rd in 1867, and she was born near Delta, Louisiana. Her father was Owen Breedlove, and her mother was, was Minerva Anderson Breedlove. So Madame was one of six children, and she had four brothers and one sister. So, Madame's parents and her older siblings were slaves, but Madame was actually the first child in her family to be born into freedom after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, which is groundbreaking for her family. So, her mother died in 1872, and her father remarried, but then later he died as well, and then Madame was orphaned at the young age of just seven. After that, she moved to Vicksburg, Mississippi. She started working as a domestic or housemaid when she was very, very young. Still not a slave, but still needing to work really hard and make minimal wages. So just prior to her first marriage, she lived with her sister, Lavinia, and her brother-in-law, Jesse Powell. And Kate, you're going to tell us more about that. I am. Now, when Madame was only 14 years old, 
she married Moses McWilliams. Now, this was her opportunity to escape abuse by her brother-in-law. So it seems really early, but at the same time, it's also the time period we're talking about. And also, it was to escape that abuse. So, But at age 17, Madame gave birth to a daughter, uh, born Lilia, but later, like her mom, changed her name. This time, though, uh, Lilia added an A and became Olilia. So at the age of 20, Moses died, and her daughter was two years old. So the mother and daughter moved to St. Louis, where Madame's four brothers were settled there, and they were working as barbers, and she found work as a laundress. Now, during this time, she was having some real trouble with her hair. Uh, She not only had dandruff, but her hair was falling out, and she was beginning to actually lose most of it. And she was not alone in this either. Many African-American women would experience this, not only because of infrequent bathing due to lack of indoor plumbing, but also the products that were available contained lye, and they were extremely harmful to the skin. So Madame talked to her brothers, and they tried products that were available, like those that Annie Malone, which was another African-American woman entrepreneur, had. But she also started making her own home remedies. So in 1904, Madame started as an agent selling products for Annie Malone, who is the owner of the Poro Company. She learned about the business. She also learned what was working and what wasn't. So for 18 years, Madame and her daughter lived in St. Louis in the 1880s. This was also the uh, beginnings of ragtime music in St. Louis. So it was like the heat of ragtime. So Madame sang at her church and she fostered relationships with African-American women in the the church, but also in the National Association of Colored Women. The NACW uh, was started in 1896 by Josephine St. Pierre Ruffin and Mary Church Terrell. Their motto was lifting as we climb. Now Harriet Tubman and Ida B. Wells were also founding members of that organization, which I found oh, cool. wonderfully interesting. <laughs> that is awesome. Yes. Now in July 1905, when Madame was 37 years old, her and her daughter moved to Denver, Colorado, where she continued to sell her products for Malone and developed her own hair care business. Madame soon after established her company and began selling her products door to door. In 1906, she married Charles Walker, who was a newspaper salesman. I read on on famousinventors.org that they thought it was his idea for Madame to change her name to sound more distinctive. So she took the initials of his name, C and J, and then took his last name. She also added Madame to her title, of course, said to be a nod to the French beauty industry, which was booming across the Atlantic. So this all made her new business name to be Madame C.J. Walker. Um, I think regardless of whose idea it was that she changed her name, it was a really great idea because it really is catchy and it really is all about the branding and she really succeeded in this. Yeah, absolutely. She did not just succeed because she was a van- in the vacant market. Her goods were both innovative and popular. Through many years of hard work and persistence in her one-woman company, Became an international business. So by 1916, the company's annual sales reached a $100,000 mark and wow. employed as many 10,000 agents, which is awesome. That is very cool. Especially for the time period. Like, right. that is crazy. Good on ya. Right? From a one-woman show to 10,000. Like, that's, that's 
pretty impressive. Right. It's the American dream right there. It really is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Madam Walker trained women to become beauty culturists while her husband handled the advertising and promotion for the business. She groomed her sales agents, taught them the art of selling, and organized them into local and state clubs along the same lines as set up of the National Association of Colored Women. In 1906, Madame put her daughter in charge of the mail order operation in Denver, while she and her husband traveled throughout the southern and eastern United States to expand the business. In 1908, Madame and her husband relocated to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where they opened a beauty parlor and established Leela College to train hair culturists, which is also super awesome. They basically opened their own beauty school. Yeah. After closing the business in Denver in 1907, Alilia ran the day-to-day operations from Pittsburgh, while Madame established a new base in Indianapolis in 1910. I wonder what inspired them to travel so much. I feel like Madame never really settled. Like, we're always constantly talking about how she's traveled and where she moved to. Like, she Mm -hmm. was just, I feel like she's just, once you're on the move, you can't not be on the move. It's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting to me. I know um, I lived in the same place for most of my life until I was like 16 Mm -hmm. or 15. And then we started moving every two years. And now every two years I have to move or I feel anxious. Right. Exactly. The gypsy sensibility. (laughs) Totally. So I'm wondering if like that's something that she had or if it was just good business sense or I don't know. It's just very fascinating to me to, to think about these things. And it could be, it it could be just a, you know, on the go sort of thing. Um, there's also another variety of factors too, that I was kind of thinking about one factor could be Avon. So now Avon actually started in 1886. So a little bit earlier than the time period we're talking about. Oh. Um, and that was started by David H. McConnell. I don't know that off the top of my head. I did have to look that up, but he was also a traveling salesman and hired women to be sales representatives, similar to what we're talking about with her. Avon started yeah. back there. I didn't know it started that early. I was like, was Avon around? Because this sounds similar to an Avon type of thing. So I was curious. <laughs> <laughs> or my great-grandfather was, quote, an Avon lady. They called ah. him the Avon lady. Yes. Oh, yeah. Guys are Avon fantastic. ladies. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. <laughs> so great. Oh, tell me more, Kate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, another aspect of why she did it could also just be the traveling salesman factor. Um, totally. Because we're actually not that far away. I mean, my it was my parents' generation where they would still get door-to-door salesmen coming with, like, a new vacuum or a new cleaner, and they would do a demonstration and try to get you buy stuff from door to door so it could be part of that too um i kind of go with the theory though that hair is personal (laughs) you know um just having a bottle of a product on a shelf is is not gonna sell itself you don't know how to use it you don't know what it's really gonna look like you need somebody else to show you what the benefits are or to say, Hey, I use this. Um, so I really do think it was really smart because beauty products, especially hair is word of mouth. It is women telling other women. It really is. (laughs) And so I think, you know, traveling and showing this to women and having women show it to other women, I think was, uh, was a very smart move. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. I think that's why she's traveled, but I'm guessing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We're totally speculating here, but it's a very valid point. 
it's very cool to me that like to see business ventures happening before they were like a standard if that right. makes sense yes when it was you know, still they, really daring and very totally. rare to start your own business yes like they created the standard they created the business models you know right. what i mean so it's very fascinating yeah. to me yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, so in Indianapolis, my current yeah, hometown, this is what she did here. So here she would actually build a factory as well as a hair and manicure salon and another training school. So her philanthropy wow. and her investment in the African-American community actually made headlines and really got her the talk of Indianapolis at the time when she donated a thousand dollars to the building of a colored YMCA in Indy. Now, also locally, she helped the Flanner House and Beth African Methodist Episcopal Church as well. Uh, Those were also her philanthropy efforts here. Now, residents and visitors of Indianapolis, they might have either gone to or passed by the Walker Theater. Now, the Walker Theater was built in 1927, which is after Madame's death. Now, the building was the new headquarters and new manufacturing site uh, for the continuing sale of the product line, and it once employed 3,000 women. Now, the building also included a ballroom, a theater, which is still there, a hair salon, and corporate offices. Um, It's a really unique building. It's a uh, Flatron design, or Flatrion, I can never remember quite how you say it. Um, It's basically, if you think of the one, oh, Flatron, iron that's the word it's a flat iron building if you think of the one in new york city times square that's a triangle that kind of faces into the street it's that same design which is very cool (laughs) so not only that but the building actually has an amazing fusion of art deco and african art inside and out and today it's host to many concert it hosts the uh, spirit awards it has tours available it also rents its offices out to nonprofits and entrepreneurs to increase her company sales force madame trained other women to become beauticulturists um her method of grooming was designed to promote her hair growth and to condition the scalp through the use of her hair products so her system included a shampoo a pomade stated to help hair grow strenuous brushing and applying iron combs to the hair her hair product line had several competitors, though. Several products were produced in Europe and manufactured by other companies in the United States, including the company that she worked for previously. Right. So between 1911 and 1919, during the height of her career, Madame and her company employed several thousand women. So um, by 1917, the company claimed to have trained nearly 20,000 women. Nice. They all dressed in characteristic uniforms of white shirts and black skirts, and they they carried black satchels, and they visited houses around the United States and the Caribbean. So Madame understood the power of advertising and brand awareness. The advertising that was primarily African-American newspaper and magazines, in addition to her frequent travels to promote her products, helped make Madame and her products well-known in the United States. And through this whole process, she brought her daughter, and her daughter was also trained, and her daughter was also traveling around with her and basically being taught, like, everything behind the business. Yeah, absolutely. So Madame became even more widely known in the 1920s as her business market expanded beyond the United States and went to Cuba, Jamaica, Haiti, Panama, and Costa Rica. 
which is super great. Wow. So in addition to training in sales and grooming, Madame showed other black women how to budget and build their own businesses and encouraged them to become financially independent. So in 1917, she Inspired by the model of National Association of Colored Women, Madame began organizing her sales agents into state and local clubs. The result was the establishment of, of the National Beauty Culturist and Benevolent Association of Madame C.J. Walker. This was the predecessor to the Madame C.J. Walker Beauty Culturist Union of America. Uh-huh. Is, this is mouthful. I'm glad that like <laughs> we started shortening names out eventually. Right. Exactly. We got there eventually. This is true. (laughs) (laughs) His first annual conference convened in Philadelphia during the summer of 1917 with 200 attendees. The conference is believed to have been among the first national gathering of women entrepreneurs to discuss business and commerce. So during the convention, she gave prizes to women who had sold the most products and brought in the most new sales agents. She also rewarded those who made the largest contributions to charities and other communities, which foreshadows very nicely to the next steps that mm-hmm. she took in her life. Absolutely. So I was excited to learn about Madam's uh, background in beauty and um, hair care products because one of my good friends, Crystal, is actually also a hairdresser. So I was excited to ask her about Madam C.J. Walker and see if she heard about her. And actually she did. And it oh. turns out that she learned about Madam in beauty school. Because of the history in cosmetology and the fact that she was a major contributor, Crystal said that it's pretty cool that she made such a big contribution to the industry and also because she did so well considering the time period she was in. She must have faced a lot of negativity and people thinking she was less than. I think she's amazing. Such success. I I took the liberty to ask her what she learned from Madame, if anything, and she actually said that it reminds me that there is always something new out there. And you can overcome anything if you try. And I just love seeing that these women are more than just a history book page. You know, right. storytelling is so powerful, especially when it's a true story and when it's our own life doing the telling. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Well, I actually wanted to research her activism a bit more because I had heard totally. that oh, yeah. she was very much into activism. So I'm like, ooh, I want to know. So totally. the first bit of activism that I found was in 1912. Uh, she spoke up on the convention floor at the National Negro Business League saying, quote, I am a woman who came from the cotton fields of the South. From there, I was promoted to the wash tub. From there, I was promoted to the cook in the kitchen. And from there, I promoted myself into the business of manufacturing hair goods and preparations. I have built my own factory on my own ground. And I loved that. That was, that's so great. Like, if you wanted to sum up her life (laughs) in, like, less than a paragraph. She had already done it for you. Yeah, Yeah. she did it right for you. So she gave that speech by uh, basically the the floor of the convention. The next year, she was a keynote speaker. However, there's actually a little bit more to the story because I wanted to dig in a little deeper. This is such a good story. I hope all of it's true. But it's got to be because Madame's great, great granddaughter, Alilia Bundle, she tells this story as the founder of the NNBL. 
was Booker T. Washington. Uh, Now, Madame wanted to share her rags to riches story. But Washington, who you got to remember at the time, he was one of the most powerful African-American voices in America. For two days, he ignored her. (laughs) Oopsies. Uh Uh-huh. But now our gal persisted. Because that's Uh what she does. And I love her for it. So on the final day of the conference, she stood from her seat and addressed Booker T. Washington personally and started with, surely you're not going to shut the door in my face. And then said the rest of the quote that I just said moments ago. (laughs) So I love that. So now uh, Washington was reportedly shocked and annoyed Uh, He did not invite her on the stage. Um, But the following year, Madame invited him to come to the opening of the YMCA in Indianapolis. She also donated to his organizations like the Tuskegee Institute. And that next year, she was invited to be the keynote speaker. What? (laughs) I love the fuller story on it. I mean, one part of it's really great, but the fuller story is like, Uh Uh-huh. She got that because she persisted. (laughs) And I love it. So when Madame moved to New York in 1916, she actually became more active in political matters. She gave more speeches and lectures that were sponsored by many powerful black institutions. She joined the NAACP. And she was a member of the 1917 Negro Silent Protest Parade Committee. Another mouthful. Uh, But they were sparked by a lynching event that led to the death of 39 African-Americans in East St. Louis, Illinois. The silent protest that she helped lead had 8,000 participants. It was amazing. So Madam joined a group of Harlem leaders who visited the White House to present a petition calling for a federal anti-lynching legislation. She also encouraged activism in her agents as well as giving those awards to those who donated like you were talking about earlier um and so when it comes to donations phoebe you actually have more on all of her philanthropy i do so madame did not ignore her own community she actually did everything she could to help the black community especially after she already got all the funds and she was very successful and rumored to be a millionaire even though that's a whole different story. Right. I will go into it in a minute. It's complicated. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> but let's just say she had adequate funds and she used yeah, she them did. to help people, which is so awesome. Yes. As Kate said, she established a branch of the YMCA in Indy. This one's really cool, though. Madame also invested scholarship funds to multiple different institutes. Mm-hmm. So that other young African-Americans had a solid foundation in education. She believed in investing in youth to brighten the future. And Madame was also a patron of the arts and purchased art from the Black community wherever she traveled. So she found as many excuses as she could to help invest in her community and help the Black community thrive like she was thriving. Yeah. Which is just amazing because that's what you do when you're in the middle of a, of a culture or a city or you want to help your community. Yes, absolutely. You invest you invest in your community. You buy local art. You, you buy local foods, you know. You yep. buy, you local know, authors. that's what you do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, she was actively trying to do this, which is so great. I love that. So, in 1916, Madame moved to New York, where her daughter was. They left the day-to-day operations of the company to her management team in Indy. 
1917, Madame commissioned the first licensed black architect in New York City to design her house in New York. So Madame attended for her $250,000 house to become a gathering place for community leaders and to inspire other African Americans to pursue their own dreams. Profits from her business significantly impacted Madame's contributions to her political and philanthropic interests. In 1918, the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs honored her for making the largest individual contribution to help preserve Frederick Douglass's house. So prior to her death, Madame pledged $5,000 to the NAACP's anti-lynching fund. At the same time, it was the largest gift from an individual that they have ever received as well. Nice. So Madame gave nearly $100,000 to orphanages, institutions, individuals. And, and this one hit me hard when I read it, but she, she even put it in her will to have future net profits of her estate to be donated to charity, mm. which is so great. It's it keeps going. I love that. It does. Yeah. It does. I know famous people do this a lot, but it was just like, wow, this is, I don't know. It's so selfless. I don't. It just this right. one really hit me hard because yeah. it's like, wow, she really cared. She could have left it all back either into the company or to her daughter. Exactly. But, but she, she was did. mindful enough to, you know, to divide it up. I mean, exactly. her daughter got some, the company, you know, stayed alive. And, but also to keep supporting charities was amazing. Yeah, exactly. It was just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. In 1918, Madame moved to Villa Luaro, not far from the two richest men in history. We're talking John D. Rockefeller and railroad baron Jay Gould. Now, she died in her home a year later. She died of kidney failure and hypertension complications, and she was only 51 years old. And she's buried in Woodlawn Cemetery in New York City. Now, she was considered to be the wealthiest African. African-American woman in America. It has even been said that she was the very first female self-made millionaire. Now, Madame, two years before her death, she said, quote, she was not yet a millionaire, but hoped to be at some time. Her estate was valued at $600,000. However, if we take into account the present day dollars, that would be approximately $8 million. So maybe oh, that wow. someday that she was talking about was just adjusting for inflation. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's how I choose to look at it. <laughs> she made a lot of money in her time and she gave she a lot of it to charity. Yeah. So her daughter, Alilia, became president of the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company. Now, the Great Depression, unfortunately, caused many hardships for the company. But Phoebe, you looked into her hair care line today. I did look into Madam C.J. Walker's brand today. And I honestly, at first, did it accidentally because mm -hmm. I was just Googling her name. And then I realized that she still had products out. Nice. And... I even, I found out because of YouTube tutorials or there yeah. were um, like product reviews oh, of nice. Madam CJ Walker brand name, like shampoos and conditioners. And they make like this three system. Ooh, yeah. Nice. So you do like three different things, like three step process. 
Gotcha. So shampoo, conditioner, and then recondition or something like that. And it's gotcha. Oh wow! So these um, ladies on YouTube did product reviews. It was fascinating because I have Caucasian hair, so my hair works differently than Madam C J Walker's and the products right. that she would release. Right. So it was like I just wanted. It was just fun to learn more about it. To be right. Absolutely. Honest. <laughs> I, you know what? I also think that Madam would have loved the idea of YouTube tutorials to get the word totally. out about her stuff. She oh would my love gosh! That. Yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> A new form of sales agents. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, the brand do, does still actually exist. You can find her products on Sephora, and there are multiple different scents, multiple different purposes for each product. There's so many different things you can do, and they're all bright and colorful, which is yeah, they great. are. They're yes. so like, like I want one and I can't do scents and it's not made for me. And I'm like, oh, whatever. I want some anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, exactly, this is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she made, there's tons of them. I am sure you would find one that you're like, Yay! yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. That's me. That's, that's mine. <laughs> yes. So on the Sephora website, it even gives a description about the brand and it reads that behind the brand, Madam CJ Walker, a visionary entrepreneur. Be bold and adventurous without sacrificing healthy hair. Discover the raw power results of Madam C.J. Walker beauty culture. Naturally formulated results, driven and endlessly versatile, Madam C.J. Walker, visionary entrepreneur, and America's first self-made female millionaire, which See, that's, there was it is again. on even Sephora. It's, Sephora. it's on everything. Oh, <laughs> it's absolutely. It's on everything. <laughs> she built a global beauty culture and transformed the lives of millions of women then and now. That last great. part is totally 100% true. Yes. Uh, exactly. <laughs> it's so fascinating yeah. that it's all over the place that she was the first African-American female self-made millionaire. Right. Exactly. It's true and not true, but it's... Right, you know. exactly. Yes. It it sounds really good. And if that's the way that you're introduced, at least you're introduced. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Totally. So, and yes. it's very fascinating. <laughs> it's so funny because every time we introduce a gal, I feel like our names for her get longer and longer. Right. This is true. Yes. First African-American female, self-made millionaire, but Visionary, not really millionaire. Entrepreneur, but in an asterisk, yes. Yeah, it's right. just like, you know what, just listen to the episode and you'll understand. Right, exactly. She was awesome. Exactly. That's the important part here. Yes, absolutely. Um. Oh my goodness. So now, to talk about uh, life and legacy, right? The legacy totally, part of all exactly. of this. Yeah. Um, I took some time, you know, during our research to kind of really think about what legacy that um, Madam wanted to leave behind. Was it her hard work? Was it creating something of her own? Uh, was it helping others with products? Was it philanthropy or was it activism? And I really thought about it. I think it was all of it. Honestly, yeah. I really do. I think she was not satisfied with just making money. I think she inspired others to go out there and to make opportunities for themselves. And I just, I think that's lovely. I also think that's leadership. I think she is just a great role model for leadership. Um, and I adore it. Now, one aspect of her legacy that does continue uh, is the Walker legacy. Now, that focuses on career development, entrepreneur, and inspiration enterprises for women of color. Honestly, check out walkerlegacy.com. See their amazing programs and events that they offer. They are really keeping her name and her memory and her spirit 
um, alive today, which I love. Another thing is also her great, great granddaughter has collected oh, yeah. many stories and artifacts uh, and keeps Madame's legacy alive. Now, she has five books about uh, Madame C.J. Walker, and she's working on another book about her namesake, about Madame's daughter, Alilia as well. So, cute. so I'm looking forward to those books. Those are going to oh, be yeah. absolutely that's great. Gonna be, be on so our fun. break, I plan on reading uh, the Madam C.J. Walker one, and I'm very much looking forward to the Alilia one. <laughs> absolutely. The Alilia one is very fascinating. Well, they're both fascinating to me, but it would be really fun to see more about Alilia. Yeah. I don't know. What would a child of somebody famous be doing right. and thinking and... That would be fascinating. And her mom died relatively young. So, I mean, what do you do? Yeah. Right. That would be mm-hmm. an interesting concept for like a future story arc. Yes. Oh, from, absolutely. Like, doing the children of the gals that we cover. Right. Exactly. And yeah. What happened to the next from. generation or generations later? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. That would, be, that would be interesting. Yeah. No, I think you're totally, totally spot on there, Kate. Especially with the whole like, when you think about when when you said that what legacy do you think that she's leaving behind? Well, I think it was all of it. I am totally a hundred percent on board with that because humans are complex beings, right? And so we don't always have one just one set thing in mind. You know? And we don't have to is the other right. thing. Yeah, exactly. It's fine like, if you do, but th- it's really fine if you don't. <laughs> oh yeah. We're we're three dimensional characters, you know. So it's we're allowed to have multiple things that we're getting out of life, and yes. we're searching for out of life, and we want to leave behind. So I think that's why I like Madame so much is because yeah. she wants she is more than just hey yeah. I am an activist because it's the right thing to do. Like no, she had a reason. Yeah. She had things to back her up. You know, she had the means, the funds she had. Mm -hmm. She was kind of a package deal in my mind. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's so cool. Like, I think her legacy, she just, if you wanted to simplify it, she wanted Mm -hmm. to inspire others to pursue their careers, to be educated and to do the right thing. 100%. Yes. So when it comes to what I personally learned, you know, what little, uh, what nuggets of wisdom can, you know, I take from uh, spending some time with her. I, it was her hard work. It was also the power of community. I mean, those two things. I mean, starting her business, um, you know, she had her family, but she had to grow it further and she empowered the women of her community. And then she gave back to the community and she stood up for them. Like it was this circle journey that needed each component um, and it needed to inspire more people to do the same journey. So I really love that. I mean, I think it's easy um, if you're given a rough start, you know, or you see a, a setback in life um, to be like, I'm uh, to be selfish, to almost revengeful. Like you counted me out, you know, I'm going to show you, you know, that sort totally. of thing. We, yeah. There are quite a few heroes and mentors and celebrities we learned that kind of have that rah, rah, rah about it. But I never see that 
in Madam C.J. Walker. No, not at I all. I feel it's just, it's rare. She's very rare. And I think mm-hmm. she should be admired and learned from. Um, and I really learned that it, it's people who help you succeed and you owe it to them to not only pay back that appreciation, but to pay it forward, to have more people do that. I think that's what I really, really learned from her. What did you learn? No, that was that was really well put, Kate. Oh, thank you. I thought that was very interesting of you to point that out, Kate, because at the end of this episode, I was actually thinking about the support system, too. But I was also thinking about how we almost never talk about the husbands because we're, it's on purpose, mainly because we want to focus on the females because they're not highlighted as much, right? Right, yeah. But I found it interesting that a lot of times when we research these gals, either they're single or they have supportive husbands. Like, right. There's no, I don't think to my recollection that there's any exceptions in the gals that we've covered so far. And if their like, husband, it's been a quick marriage. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, Hedy like, had if, it, like if, six, if there is a husband, it's not, it's not like right. a lifelong husband. Like right, Madam exactly. C.J. Walker, C.J. Walker was like in her life a significant amount of time as right. opposed to like, you know what I mean? As opposed to like yes. a year or two or something like that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I observe gals in history and in life right now. Right. Um, that are um, gals that I would ins- aspire to be like because yeah. I want to be married someday. I want to be, uh, but I also like have a mind of my own. I want to do all these different things. So right. I'm like, okay, what kind of future husband do I need? That kind of thing. Like I'm just very always thinking about that. Right. So it was very fun to watch C.J. Walker and imagine, or Madam C.J. Walker, and imagine her husband actually being that supportive right. person. You know yeah. what I mean? Because there's nothing in our research that indicated he was otherwise. Right. And yeah. so it's just really, it's really cool to learn about that and to learn about, okay, these are the types of people to keep in your life. You know what right. I mean? Partners. Yeah, totally. 100% partners. Exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. Exactly. I love it. Well, that wraps it up for us. I do want to give a big thanks to madamcjwalker.com. Honestly, the information oh. that was on there was a real fantastic resource for us. Uh, we use various resources for all of our research. Whenever we had any doubt, <laughs> we always came back to madamcjwalker.com. The oh, site boy. uses many of Alilia Bundle's essays and research that she has collected from her great-great-grandmother. And so we leave you with this quote from Madam C.J. Walker. I am not merely satisfied in making money for myself, for I am endeavoring to provide employment for hundreds of women of my race. For more information about this week's gal or to check out our previous episodes, visit galsguide.org. To support the show, visit the Gals Guide Patreon page. We've got great perks like behind the scenes, early access, and private live streams. Thank you so much for subscribing to Your Gal Friday. Bye.